Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the pointy wooden stake to my heart of evil, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I'm good. I'm good. Blah. Blah. Blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to get into the spirit of today's deep dive. I, I, I've heard on good authority that Dracula does not say blah, blah, blah. But he does count very, very well. That's true. A one, a two, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> One victim. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Two, Two victims. victims. Ah, ah, ah. ah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I think we're getting like serious, serious props from the audience because that's a great reference. But on the other hand, I really do feel dirty right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, do you want to unfeel dirty? Yeah. Uh, uh, Xander Harris said that in an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, that's true. He did, didn't he? Yes, he did. So we got good props. Wow. I need to go back and rewatch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, It used to be streaming everywhere. Now it's like nowhere. It's sad. It'll be back. It'll be back. That's true. That's true. Alrighty. Well, as always, we're going to start off this episode with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon who got a special gift. Yes, they did. They got a special episode, which we have creatively titled Forgot My Dice Patreon 2. <laughs> this isn't just a normal episode which by the way i do believe that breaks our uh record for the longest episode does it not i don't know i'd have to compare it to the seventh c episode that that was the previous it, it's that close was a beef. that was a beefy one but that, yeah it, it was over two hours yeah it was it, I, but uh the the patreon one was also over two hours but it was like two hours and two minutes and i'm pretty sure seventh c was like two hours and eight minutes but this is a very different topic robert that's true that's true it's both deep dives they are both deep dives, but this is a little bit out of our normal wheelhouse, which makes it special and fun and interesting. Well, why don't you tell them, Jonathan? I know you want to. I can hear it in your voice. We, we had a lot of fun, and we sat down and we watched the movie Bright together. And as we've promised several times on this, uh, on this podcast, we sat down and we did a commentary track for the movie Bright. I don't know if it was a bright move, but we did it. <laughs> I Hey-o! see what you did there. <laughs> a one pun, a two puns. Since since the trend for the episode, this is no good. We're only like four <laughs> minutes in; it's already falling apart. I hate you. I know I do too. Uh, anyway, so yes, we uh, we recorded this awesome little commentary track for the movie Bright. We timed it up so that all you have to do is hit start right when we start uh, talking. Uh, we'd let you know exactly when to hit the play button, and we would love it. If you sat down with us and watched the movie and heard our thoughts and then uh, chimed in on our different digital domains. But to do that, you have to be a Patreon member. So this is our way, part of our way of thanking our Patreon members for all of the awesome stuff that they do for us because they really do help us keep going. Yes, they do. And to entice you to get you over there. More, more reasons, more reasons whoa, 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 other whoa, whoa, than whoa, just whoa, whoa. epicness. Well, I'm going to... I'm going to keep with the 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 uh, the theme of the episode. I am going to use my vampiric whammy to draw you over there with my seductive Bella Lugosi eyes. I'm giving the eyes; you can't see them. Makes for great radio. I know. <laughs> 
Anyway, yes, come, come over to the Patreon. Uh, we are running a contest over there, and it's really easy. And I should explain it, because Jonathan had nothing to do with it. Yes, that's right. I am absolutely not in the planning stages of this particular contest, other than to say I nodded and said, mm-hmm. So we have $20 sitting in a drive-thru RPG gift certificate, which we do not count to 20 in the count, boys. I'm, I, I wasn't planning on it. No. I wasn't planning on it. Uh, we've got $20. And uh, uh, I, I checked this out, and hopefully I'm not wrong, but apparently I can just email it to you as a gift card of, of $20. And uh, so it should be nice and easy. It's all there. It's all set up. We can make it happen real fast. Just be a Patreon member. Be one of our Patreon members by the time episode 43 hits. When episode 43 hits, the contest is over. That's when we'll roll. That's when I'll announce the winner over there. That's when I'll ask for their email address, and I'll try to send them this thing, and we'll see if it works or if I have to get a physical one mailed to me, which will take significantly longer. But I, I, I didn't want to test it. I think I could test it with a little bit of extra, a little, little extra Skrilla we have over there, a little bit of extra money we have over there, but we'll see. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> really try and use Skrilla in a sentence. Uh, shut the fudge up. But anyway, yes, we'll announce the winner over here on episode 44, and by then, hopefully, they will have their sweet, sweet drive through RPG money. So, yes, go over there, listen to the, the commentary, be a member by the time episode 43 hits, and then, yeah, please stay. We, we would love to have you. We're, we're, the more, more people we have over there, the more stuff we can do. So, yeah, be a Patreon. Go be a Patreon. Go! Become a Patreon! Ah, ah, ah. And you have a couple different, uh, you have a couple of episodes to enter, so keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By when forty three hits the airwaves, this is forty one. So you've got you know all the the two weeks of this one, the two weeks of the next one, basically a month. Yeah, basically. And and here's the thing. Here's the thing, Jonathan. Every time we do a contest, we always have some sort of stupid delay. It always happens. Yeah, it's pretty inevitable. Yeah, yeah. Like we always have to take a week off for some stupid reason. So I, I'm just assuming that's going to happen now. So it's probably more like five or six. But now that I said that, it probably won't be. So let's knock on wood. I'm knocking on wood. All right. All right. Sounds good. Well, let's move on to our oh, first segment. One last thing. One last thing. It's so not in the notes, it? Robert. It's not it in the in notes. notes. It's in the notes. It's the second thing. So we did a Department of Corrections last time, and we totally forgot to mention the game or what we got wrong. Oh, yeah. We just said we did it. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're professionals. Well, anyway, back on to on, off the shelf. No, no, we have to do it. Department of Corrections. <laughs> Giant Killer Robots, you got like a rule reverse, but you played it right? Yeah, no, I, I double-checked. We played it right. Uh, basically, it's the weapon speed of the cards. I think I said that it is um, lowest to highest. It's actually highest to lowest. So the higher the number, the faster it fires. There you go. Done. Done. So, but no, it, it, I double-checked. We played it right. Everything was right. I just blurted it out wrong. Which happens. That's fair. All right. All right. Now we can move on. We, we, we department have corrected our department of corrections. I think we could have at least gotten two more episodes worth of entertainment out of that. Uh, nah, no, no, <laughs> no. Because, because, you know, the joke, yo dog, I heard you like uh, the departments of corrections. So I put a department of corrections in your department of corrections so you can say it twice or you can oh. say it while you say it. I don't know. I got nothing. And now it's time for our first segment of the night off the shelf. And in this segment, of course, we talk about all the geeky fun stuff that we've managed to get off of our shelves and into our hearts. Where do you want to start? Next, on a very special episode of Forgot My Dice. We're going to start with reading. <laughs> All right, well, let's get started with books. I have had a chance to read absolutely nothing that wasn't either a set of rules or work emails. 
your turn. I guess I didn't read this, but I read it on tape. Uh, so friend of the show, Mr. Ray Greenley, uh, he was kind enough to give me a copy of Craig Gallant's Legacy of Shadow, which he did the audiobook for. Yes, I totally need to sit down and listen to that, too. And I just have not had a minute to myself. Yeah, yeah, I, I do it while I'm uh, I'm running trips to Costco like that. <laughs> that's the time I have allocated to it. So I, I put my headphones into my phone and I just listen to a book on tape. And uh, I I'm really enjoying it, actually. That it, that book is strange. <laughs> and uh, but in a good way, I hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to articulate why it's strange and why I, 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 I like it. I don't know. It's it's just good. It's a good book. Buy it. L- listen to the book on tape. Support Mr. Ray Greenlee. Buy it. Buy the book on tape. Here's how about this? This is how much I'm enjoying it, Jonathan. I know you have a copy of it on your shelf. I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to spoil anything for you because I like it that much. Wow. OK, that's actually that's a really uh, strong endorsement. I'm actually staring at my copy now. It is between Shattered Sword, which is the untold story of the Battle of Midway, and my H.P. Lovecraft uh, collection. Mm, nice. Nice. There, there you go. Perfect merging of the two halves of my brain. One is interested in military history. The other is interested in uh, horror and science fiction. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So, highly recommend. Thumbs up so far. And, uh, yeah, no spoilers. All right, no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. I, I need to... I, I, I haven't gone to Costco in like a week, so... But I got a trip coming up. Ho, ho, ho. Speaking of drive-thru RPG, I went and I bought a book off of the DMs Guild called Monstrous Races, where somebody, so somebody somewhere made like a system to build races based off of, you know, criteria for D&D. And most of the racial options in the player's handbook are between eight and ten points. And so this guy is like, well, why don't we just apply this system to the entire friggin' monster manual from A to Z? Nice. Including all the appendices. So it's just this long, long PDF of, you know, it's like you want to play a Beholder? You want to play, you know, anything. Anything that's in the the basic 5th edition player's handbook is just a race. And given he, like, changed a lot of stuff, like if you're playing a first-level Beholder, you don't have 12 eyes worth of evil. You you barely have one. Aww. He tried to make them all fit. And, and I appreciate the effort. And some of the things work better than others, but, you know, I mean, if, if you're a good GM, you can... Uh, you can make it work for you. You can make it work for you. So uh, the things that really got me going, got my blood, like my, my, my thoughts and my blood rolling or whatever, I, I, uh, my metaphors are getting mixed. The racial options for the crawling claw, which is the undead severed hand, I was like, a monk crawling claw would be hilarious because, you know, just like, like thing, like punching people and like leaping on people and like hitting them, smacking them around and getting like that sweet monk damage I thought would be hilarious. They have uh, Empyreans, which are like the children of the gods, which have uh, like stupidly high stats. But basically, it's like a race of demigods that you could add into your game, which I thought that would be interesting. Uh, they have genies if you have it a thousand and one night setting. Uh, they have templates where you can play character uh, death knights, ghosts, vampires, skeletons. So much uh, great for your Ravenlofts and your Innistrad games. The giants actually were really well done. So you could take one or all of them and do like a fun Nordic game. And uh, basically the giant animals or, or the animal chapter in general for if you need the, you know, the, the whole thing of like, you know, this is this isn't my animal companion. This is my friend. And it's like, yes, the friend is another play, player character. You could play giant eagle, Jonathan. You can be Ka-ka! one of the eagles. Yes. I loved it. I loved it. That book is, is, is weird, but it gets high marks for me for just like having like imagination fuel. And then 
I went and visited friend of the show, Mike Hall, for free comic book day. Oh, that's and so I got cool. S- I did not participate got- this year because the line around my friendly local comic book shop was no joke around the building, and it was just too, too much. I didn't have that kind of time. But yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a they had an artist signing there. It was a guy who I. I didn't actually look at it because uh, his line was pretty long, and I I, I didn't want to go stand in it because I was there with Eowyn, and uh, she was kind of overwhelmed with all the people. And I tried talking to Mike a little bit, but he seemed a little busy. <laughs> Just a smidge. Just a smidge. I think it was the guy who designed like Pinky and the Brain was there. Oh, that's cool. He, he did- yeah, yeah, yeah. He he had a lot of cool art prints and stuff. I yeah, it just it looked really busy over in that corner and I'm like, I'm a nerd. I don't like interacting with people. But I got a bunch of free comics and and the girl, most of them were for the girl, but for for daddy, I got a Overwatch comic, a uh Doctor Who comic and a Power Rangers comic, which I say is for my little girl, but it is so not for my little girl. I just wanted to read it. I'm I'm there with you like two two out of the three. Please tell me the Power Rangers comic was on the on the 3. No. Oh! And then finally, I, I, I've i been in the quest of not collecting uh, books that I have been getting. And uh, I, I read the, uh, I bought the Theros novella uh, for Magic the Gathering, you know, because they used to actually write stories to explain their fluff, which they don't do anymore. I think Theros was the last one. But uh, Theros was fun. Like, I, I read the book of it, and it was, it, you know, it was 120 pages. It moved at a pretty brisk pace, and it had a had a fun plot about the gods being, you know, because it's all Greek-inspired, so the, the gods were pretty nuts. And it, it was nice for, for what it was. I think it was like two, three bucks, you know, for what it is. It's, it's a nice little story. If, you, if you're into, like, magic settings, it's not a bad way to go. So, thumbs up for me. There you go. Very, very cool. Very cool. Uh, any movies or TV? Uh, not really. Really, nothing memorable. We're trying to figure out a way to go see Infinity War, but that's uh-huh, all I beat you to it. I'm not going to talk about it. I had a chance to go to not one but two Marvel movies back to back. Yeah, that's what we're thinking about doing. We're thinking about buying Black Panther when it comes out, and then trying to see it. Then we're trying to decide if we need to see Black Panther first. You do. Or not. You absolutely do. Oh, that is not what we heard. So okay, I mean, no. okay, I, yeah. From strictly from a plot perspective, no, you don't necessarily, but you won't understand the impact of some of the character relationships unless you do yeah yeah yeah. so i mean like to me because the characters are what's important to me yeah i say it is strictly from a narrative perspective you can get away without watching it but you'll you'll lose some of the impact okay yeah no i'm i'm big on that too so i will i will i that's why i know you are that's why i'm telling you yeah you gotta watch it yeah. Okay. So, so cool, no cool. spoilers, but uh, I did get a chance to see the, uh, both of them in the theater. Uh, my wife and I had some free passes, and we somehow managed to get rid of all four kids on the same weekend. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's a rare occurrence. So we cashed in. Nice. Um, thumbs up, thumbs down? Um, Thumbs way up on Black Panther. That movie's got heart just in spades. Just heart all over the place. Just It's just so... The world building's amazing. It completely captures the imagination, and it and it truly, truly just captured my attention and my heart. I really, really enjoyed it. And um, Infinity War, I'm holding my breath because um, it is the first half of a much grander story arc. Because you know the the sequel comes out next year. Yeah, and the uh, the next two Marvel movies actually take place in the past. Yes, which is really neat. Well, not, not not the next two, because Ant-Man and uh, Wasp. Is- no, that takes place before Infinity War. Oh, okay. That'll be interesting, because that... I'll have to see what they do there. It's before Infinity War, but after Civil War. Okay. I'll have to see what they do there, because that's they make a direct res- uh, comment regarding um, Civil War. So, we'll see. 
Yeah. And uh, I know that the uh, Captain Marvel takes place in the 90s, right? I, I'll bet you money it's about when she first becomes Captain Marvel. Yep. And then, you know, the when she shows up again, which will probably be Infinity War Part 2, I'm assuming, uh, you know, she will be a more seasoned uh, hero. Yes, absolutely. Also, people on the internet who are bitching about her green uniform, like, she doesn't have a green uniform. Oh, these movie people not understanding. No, 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 no. No, you're wrong. It is based off, that is a Kree uniform, and it is actually what uh, the original Captain Marvel had way, way, way back in the day. And yes, it's not what Carol has now, but that is comic accurate for what the Kree were wearing back in the day. So, uh, at least that's what I read on the internet. So there you go. Did you just fire off a salvo of nerd suck it? Uh, I, I just hate it when I see that. It's like, her costume's red and like purple or whatever. It's not green. And it's like, no, Captain Marvel originally had a green costume way back in the day. And like back in the 90s. So there you go. I'm just saying. I'm wow. good. I'm good. I got it out. I got there, it out. There's some haters out there that they've got a new little welt on their rear end where you just whipped it. <laughs> Dang. I could, I could, I could hear that sonic boo for miles. Okay. I Yeah, sorry. I, it, oh, it just bugs just bugs me. A little toasty around the gills there. <laughs> what about video games, Jonathan? You play any video games? Yeah, I played like five minutes. I played some Far Cry 5. That's it. I think I already talked about it, didn't I? No, 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 you haven't. I, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of interesting things about the game. The best thing I heard, uh, and, and tell me if this is true. I'm actually very curious about this. I haven't, I haven't purchased it yet, but it's on my list of things to buy. I've heard it's very strange because uh, I, I was listening to the Cracked podcast and they were, they were talking about it. And uh, I think it was uh, David Wong or whatever his actual name is, uh, was saying it's really weird because he's played all the Far Cry games and the, this current Far Cry game being set in America and killing rednecks, which he's like, you know, kind of from a, a poorer town. He grew up in a poorer town. So he kind of like recognizes like he feels a connection to the, the, the red, you know, the, the cultists that are, you know, kind of hillbilly types that he's murdering. It's really weird. And he realized how off-putting it must feel for people to murder people who basically look like them and all the other previous Far Cry games. But he never had that until it was set in Montana. Thoughts? Yeah, I could see that. Um, I could also... They're making a lot of commentary on some of the more current social issues in the United States. Now, whether or not they're seeing any kind of um, success with that commentary, I think is maybe a debatable point. But it is interesting, and it, it it's thought-provoking in some ways. It is not as good as some of the previous Far Cries. I think both uh, Primal and Far Cry 4 were better games. I think Far Cry 3 was a better game, too. Far Cry 3 really kind of defined how these games work. And then 4 was very much like Assassin's Creed 4. It, it took an existing formula and elevated it to a pinnacle. And this somehow is... It feels very much like a copy of that pinnacle where it's like, yeah, everything's there, but it's a little duller because I've done this before. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, that's that's a criticism I've also heard of the game, that it's nothing new. It, it's just got a new skin. New There's nothing new in it whatsoever, other than the story. And many of the characters are just downright weak and wacky. And the core story is not nearly as engaging. And the core villain is not nearly as engaging as it was in 4. Uh, because four, 4 had an amazing story and an amazing villain. And a great supporting cast, too. And this is just weaker on every front. Hmm. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Like I said, I... I... There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's, it's a great shooter, too. It feels good. It feels really, really good. The thing that the Far Cry games do so well that other games do not is 
the feeling of being stealthy and the feeling of being a predator in the shadows and slowly taking out your prey one by one. That's something that no <laughs> other game does as well as this game does. You feel deadly and you feel sneaky and you it's it's a really it's fun in that respect yeah it's on my short list it's just the new destiny expansion comes out tomorrow and i'm like yeah hey, I, I can hold off i've yeah, got i've got games i've got games but yeah that's it for me for for uh video games unfortunately that's i just had a chance to play about uh, an hour or two of far cry well i've uh, i've been of course playing overwatch <laughs> i mean i've been playing doomfist which is fun you need to try that game again man some of the new characters are fun I will. I will. I, I need to. I, I'll, I'll put it on. Maybe we can play this week. Nice. Me and Gina finished up Dragon Quest Two, but that is a topic of a different podcast. Ah, I see what you did there. Nice play. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, time for me to talk oh, about some I board lied. games. I lied. I, I, I lied. I lied. I do have. Uh, I do have movies and TV. I completely forgot about this. It's on the list. Even. Uh, I've been watching Doctor Who with my with my daughter. <laughs> oh, nice. Is she enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, because she, she keeps wanting to watch something scary. Hey, kid, let me show you Aliens. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you want to watch something scary? Let's watch Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's like, no, that's that's bad parenting. But you know How what? There's, big I, do you want your therapy bills to be? <laughs> there, there are several generations of Brits that have grown up watching Doctor Who, as they call, behind the couch, because it's so scary, you got to cover your eyes. And you know what? If it's good enough for the Brits, it's good enough for my daughter. So that's what we've been doing. And she's been having a good time. So wow. when you said that, I almost heard a Freedom Eagle. <laughs> nice. Freedom. Freedom. All right. Okay. Let's go to board games. Sorry. I forgot about that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we have been doing that. That is something I've been doing. Well, I've had a busy, uh, a busy board game weekend, I guess you could say. Uh, I had all we had all the kids. Everybody was together. And I had um, a bulk of time. Uh, because Jessica was away, so all the kids and I sat down. We we managed to, to blow through some games, so we had some fun. First of all, uh, let's take care of the things not on the list. Been playing a lot of Century around the house lately. Carlos and uh, Jessica actually are oddly addicted to it. Jessica and I sat down and played three games back to back. One all three. Just saying. Nice. She's getting better, but man, she is just getting uh, a little spicy, a little around the edges. She does not lose games well. That is not a pretty sight. <laughs> no. Just been playing, no. I've uh, been playing some Walk on Fire with the kids. Uh, that continues to be a favorite around here. I think I, we, we've talked about that on the show before, haven't we? Yes, we have. Yeah, that's a, that's always good fun. Uh, special shout out to uh, Jason Katarski from Green Couch Games. So this afternoon, actually, I was sitting in my home office, and I was just typing away at my computer. Two of my kids came in and wanted to sit and play a game because they wanted to be close to me, even though I was doing something else. And so I said, sure, fine, why not? And we looked at the shelf, and Walk on Fire came out. And then the other two came in and sat down and wanted to play as well. So I got them all started, and uh, yeah, it was a really pleasant family memory. And so I took a picture of it and sent it over to Jason over at Green Couch Games and said, hey... Thank you, because this memory is amazing, and it totally made my day, and he's a dad, and I knew he'd get it. So it was really just a neat moment. And so I took a picture of it. I'll send it to you later, Robert. Nice. Yeah, all four of my kids cooperating, having a nice game with each other, and not being mean to each other. It was a rare moment. <laughs> Played some giant killer robots. Taught Carlos what it's like to make tactical errors. Good. Good. Oh, yeah. No, here's the thing. We played a three-player game, right? So I had my two eldest children with me, Chloe and Carlos, 
And they both engaged each other immediately and were just duking it out left and right. And I swept in, didn't engage with either of them, and I took a secondary win condition by um, getting tags on buildings. And so while the two of them played sibling rivalry, shooting at each other back and forth, I just sat there and collected points, collected points. And at the end, they both looked at me with these, these shocked, open open mouths, and I said, hey, I told you that uh, there's lots of ways to win the game, and you chose to go for that, for that one, so don't get upset with me. <laughs> Lesson learned. Nice. Did it sting a little, children? Oh, I hope it did. Speaking yeah. of spicy, you're spicy today. Jeez, oh, I am spicy. I am spicy. You're like, you're like, you're like, hey, children, this dagger I just stuck in you. Does it hurt when I twist it? Does it, children? Lesson learned. Lesson, lesson learned. learned. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of lessons, uh, I taught Carlos how to play Seven Wonders Duel because we had some time. Nice. And then we busted out. The first thing off the list, oh yeah, Seven Wonders Duel Pantheon. Oh my god, okay, cool. You can take that sucker off the list. And actually, I really enjoy it. Honestly, having now played it with the Pantheon rules, which add uh, a whole nother game board and a whole nother uh, action that you can take, I can't go back. It's just, it's really neat. It adds, uh, it adds new life to the game. I'm really impressed with it as an expansion. It's, it's very, very cool. I would say if you're a fan of Seven Wonders Duel, don't hesitate for a moment. Go pick up Pantheon. I really like it. Nice. I had a chance to go with, actually, listener Dale. Hi, Dale. Hi, Dale. And we had a chance to go uh, take a look at Fireball Island in its prototype form. Yeah, the Kickstarter sensation. Yeah, no kidding. And by the way, if you missed the Kickstarter for Fireball Island, they are still doing late pledges. Uh, the game's totally awesome. Like, oh my gosh, what table presence. So we walk in and we look at it and it's just all set up and it's this beautiful 3D mountain and it's so much bigger than the original board and there's all kinds of paths on it and it's just chaotic and wonderful and everything that you wanted it to be uh, as a kid um, wrapped up in, a, in an adult form. It's so good. It's so, so good. Uh, while we were waiting for Fireball Island to get set up, we had some time and we were at a uh, gaming cafe. Um, shout out to Emerald Tavern here in uh, the greater Austin area. And so we grabbed Potion Explosion off the shelf because myself and Dale realized that neither of us had ever played the physical form. We'd only ever played the app. <laughs> nice. So we played Potion Explosion, uh, yeah, Potion Explosion in physical form. And let me tell you. Uh, it's so cool in physical form. The marbles are great. It's got this great tactile thing going on. You build up this uh, box that distributes the marbles down the channels, and um, you just kind of like toss the marbles back in when you're when you're done with them, and they zip into their own little channels and pop out later. It's it's really neat. Really, really, really neat. Nice. Yeah. Now I kind of want the physical form. I want to play that game actually. I, I that one sounds interesting. Yeah. No. Totally. Uh, played some Codenames Disney with uh, Chloe, which was kind of fun. Uh, just good old-fashioned Codenames, except uh, with Disney characters. That's pretty much it. Yeah, it seems a way to get the kids in, though. Yeah, yeah, no, it worked. It worked real well. Played in a, a, a game that came out on Kickstarter a couple years ago that if you have not picked it up, see if you can get a copy, because I really, really like this game. It's called Rise of Cthulhu, and it is a territory control game that's played with cards. Oh, that is not what I thought it was, actually. Oh yeah, no. There's five. Um, yeah, there's five colors, and each of those colors have ten cultists in them, one to ten. And you shuffle them all up, and you deal them out, and you're basically putting them in front of locations, and whoever has the highest total controls the location. That's the basics of the game. 
whoever controls the most locations at the end of the game wins. But there's all kinds of neat little things that are thrown in there. So if you get three of the same color or three of the same um, number in a location, you get a bonus. You get to draw either from an artifact deck or a monster deck, which gives you some additional uh, gameplay modifiers. And then what you um, also have is three of the ancient ones that have been shuffled into the deck. And as they come out, they want to go into locations at a certain order, one per location. And so you take out the ancient one, put them on a location, and then the person that is controlling that location at that time gets a huge bump out of the um, uh, spawning of the ancient one. And and that generally is a, a big gameplay changer. So it's it's a, just it's a very clever game. It's very quick to play, fifteen to twenty minutes for a game. Uh, it's very easy to teach, and it's just fantastic production values. Uh, you'd never know. You'd think that Mike Mignola had been done all the art for it because it's in his style with those deep deep shadows. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the art. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. No, the game is just it's it's beautiful. It's really beautifully produced it's very very clever and quick and i just i love it and so i um i I felt like uh carlos had finally gotten old enough and it's a great two-player game so i busted that out and we played it together and then i knocked a couple other games off the list robert all right all right so the kids and i played bitten which is this tiny deck of cards and um there are four different items that you are trying to get you're trying to get um food provisions a vehicle and a weapon. We talked about this. Uh, Mike Hall recommended this game like live on the air in like episode three or yes. six. Yeah. Yes. So I kickstarted it back on the Kickstarter and it's so much fun. It's such a simple game and yet there's just so much going on there. There's so, so many different ways that you can address it. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I fell in love with it. It's super, super fun. It's super, super quick. Uh, and it's a great little social game to get people warmed up. So that's off the list. And I started, I decided that my kids, my two eldest kids were old enough to start a um, legacy game for the first time. So we busted out Seafall and we have now played our first round of Seafall. Uh, and so in the way in, it works in Seafall is the first round is actually a prologue to the story. And it teaches you all the basic mechanics in a really nice way. And so we have started down our journey. So uh, every two weeks when everybody's together in the same house, we're going to sit down and play another round of Seafall and play it through to the end. And so far, it's been really fun. The kids get a kick out of naming things. They thought it was um, amazing that they could rip up the cards. They all had a great time doing that. <laughs> nice. Okay, so this is this is where I'm hesitant. This is where I'm hesitant. I don't know if you can count Seafall until you finished it, because playing the first part of a legacy game, I don't know if that counts. I don't feel like it counts. It, it, I have now played the game, and I can comment on the gameplay um, in, in an early evolution of it, because you know as well as I do that there will be evolutions to the rules. Uh, that being said, I, I like what I see so far. I kind of get why people were giving Seafall a hard time, uh, because it's not pandemic. It's its own little thing. You know, It's its own animal, and it's not trying to be anything but, but Seafall. And I can see where it's going to evolve to. You know, who knows if I'm right or not, but I feel like I've got a pretty good idea of how it's going to evolve, and it seems like a really neat uh, neat game. So I'm, I'm, we're going to be continuing. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put a pin in that one, but if, uh, if, our, uh, if our listeners think that you should have to get a certain amount under your belt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reserve the right to put it back on the list. 
Well, we are going to continue. Uh, in fact, this weekend we've got uh, round two scheduled. So I'll let you know how it goes. Sounds good. And then I also had a chance to play another game on the list, Robert. Zombicide Green Horde. Nice. Yes. So Dale uh, came over and uh, we set up Zombicide Green Horde. And we played with six, um, uh, six characters out on the board. Zombicide got hard. <laughs> Zombicide's always been hard. No, 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 no. You thought Zombicide was hard. Zombicide got hard. Example. The basic, you know, walkers now hit for two damage instead of one. Well, they're orcs, so that makes sense. Yes. It makes sense from a thematic perspective, but, uh, yeah, you know, Zombicide's never been the easiest game. I mean, it's really easy to get overwhelmed, and wow, does that ratchet up the tension. You are soft and squishy and everything wants to murder you by pummel it's hard we got our butts absolutely flattened it was not pretty (laughs) it was a friggin' massacre and granted we had some bad dice rolls which always stings a bit but still like it even with perfect dice rolls that game's hard (laughs) it's gonna be cool like i'm really excited about getting into it um the new rules are cool uh, there's a trebuchet on uh, all the levels that you can fire, and it's a big addition in terms of your offensive value, but that's balanced out by the horde. And the way the horde works is when you pull cards off the zombie deck, they um, will sometimes have a symbol to the left of them that um, sh- uh, basically adds additional monsters to the horde. And the horde is uh, stationed off of the main map and just slowly assembling as you go turn after turn after turn. And then occasionally you'll pull out a card that says that the horde invades. And so instead of spawning new zombies at the spawn point, the whole horde of monsters comes in off the uh, off the table. Yeah, yeah, I remember I remember that when the Kickstarter was active. It sounds fun. Sounds like a nice yeah. twist on the game. It is a very nice twist. So when you take the, tw- the changes that they made with Black Plague, and then you add the harder monsters and the trebuchet and a bunch of other stuff... It, it, Zombicide's evolving in some really neat ways. I was really impressed. I did not think I was going to enjoy it nearly as much as I did. So, that's Bitten and Seafall and Zombicide Green Horde and Seven Wonders Dual Pantheon off the list. But if I'm to be 100% honest, I have to throw one on the list as well. Ooh, do tell. So, uh, yeah, I got home today, in fact, and the postman had brought a wonderful little gift. He brought me my uh, Kickstarter for a game called Rivals Masters of the Deep. So this is a really cool tactical uh, game that's played on a a rotating hex board that you can uh, change out every time you play it. Uh, So it'll be a little bit different every time you play. And it's about these four races that live underwater and are constantly battling one another. And it's got a really cool art style. Just a really just neat, cool art style. Uh, I did, was not expecting anything this week, and then it just kind of showed up and was like, hey, surprise, you have really cool uh, underwater miniatures. Are they fish people? Some are. I've got this giant whale that actually has, like, two legs and four arms. <laughs> He's like a big old monster. I've got giant uh, underwater steampunk robots. I, I need to see this whale. Uh, I've got some fish people, lots of fish people. The minis look really good, too. They're all different colors. It's neat. Cool. All right. So Rivals Masters of the Deep added. Anything else to add to the list, sir? Nope, that's it. Those are the big ones. Well, then I will hit save and close this list for another episode. All right. All right. Some forward motion. Some forward motion, Robert. 
Three steps forward, or four steps forward, one step back. That's not so bad. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment. As always, we want to hear what you've had off-the-shelf. Join us on our Facebook fans group and uh, tell us what you've been playing lately. We want to hear. We will be right back in just a moment after some short messages for our next amazing, wonderful segment, The Wisdom of Crowds. And there's a lot of news to talk about this week, isn't there, Robert? Heck yeah! We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by doing one of the following. You can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash fmdpodcast. We also have Facebook comments enabled for all our posts at forgotmydice.com. You can also message us or tweet us on Twitter. Find us at ForgotMyDice. You can join us on Patreon, where we post outtakes and other bonus content. And if you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Store. Lastly, for those of you who want control to sanction the podcast, pick up your shoe phone and call Agent 82. Chief, it's acceptable to get podcasts on our wristwatches. It won't be distracting. I, I just don't even know what's happening right now. Well, it's classified, Jonathan. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Oh, we've got to get these things upgraded from the 1960s. And welcome back. Of course, it's now time for our Wisdom of Crowds, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment where we talk about all the hotness that is inbound. And what kind of hotness have you found? Oh my gosh, Jonathan. Okay, so when they announced Vampire 5th Edition, the pre-orders, you know, they they said like, oh, there's a collector's edition. But man, they also put in the luxury edition, which I don't think they let us know about. But holy yeah, well, God. Yeah, well, let's okay. get the hard part out of the way first. $689.99. Yes. Wow, that is just... Yep, yep, yep. That is just coming out of the gates and saying, look at me, world. That is that is a sparkling price point and you know that i'm sure there are several people that, that will gladly pay it so they're going to make 500 copies of this edition they're going to sell 250 this year and 250 next year in 2019 i don't know how for that you get it is actually leather bound by hand leather bound not by machine but by a dude his name is el artisno del rey which is from the copy i read he's a spanish and he is going to hand bind it in leather with gold. The artisan of the sun. Yeah. With gold and metal finishing. Uh, and the design that they have on the interwebs is subject to change. But yes, $689.99. Mother of God. That is an expensive copy of Vampire the Masquerade. Or no, the, what am I saying? The artisan of the king. Oh, well, there you go. Well, you got it wrong. It's, it's, it's over. You, you blew all your credibility with me. That's 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 a whole lot of Snapple. Yeah, no kidding it is. I'd love to see one. I, so let's see here. You get you get one of only 500. It's made by some dude named uh, Artisan of the King to handcrafted cover. Actual leather, actual gold. Yeah. Hand numbered certificate of authenticity. That's how you know it's legit. Yep. Sumptuous. Is it uh rich Corinthian leather? I don't know. They have to say it the right way. Rich Corinthian leather. I, I'm wondering if the leather is so nice that when I touch it, I'll suddenly start acting like I'm on E, and I'll just be like, oh my god, Jonathan, have you touched this cover? It's so good. <laughs> you're going to walk in, and you're going to be like, oh man, this is just ridiculous. Just 
Oh, hello there. Oh. I'm now refined and full of art. <laughs> I eat artisanal cheeses while sitting on my couch made of only the finest baby behind. <laughs> I put fresh babies in it every day so that I only have the softest tushies to sit on. Wow. Wow. So anyway, I I what's that what's that what was that uh, commercial? I think it was DirecTV. Uh opulence. I has it. No, you don't, because you do not have Vampire the 5th Edition Luxury Edition. Yet. Dude, if you buy that, I will... I feel at this time it's an opportune moment for us to remind folks about our Patreon. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way that's coming in this house. <laughs> Woo! $689.99. That's got to set some kind of record for a RPG. I, I certainly hope so. So yeah, go check it out. It, it looks really cool. Maybe if you go to Gen Con, you could like look at one behind glass. I don't know, but yeah. I will be at Gen Con this year, so I will probably be licking that glass. Nice. Oh, you'll oh you'll lick the glass. You'll be like, ah. oh, this, uh, I'll take it. I'll take a. I'll take a selfie of myself licking the glass. I would not lick <laughs> just for you, buddy. No, that's just so gross. People have been touching it all day. Ah. Their hands. Uh, what you won't see on camera is me cleaning it desperately before. Yeah, with like an alcohol bleach wipe. Yeah. <laughs> Mama didn't raise no fool. <laughs> All right. Well, on to some uh, privateer press news. Uh, I see we've got some new fun stuff coming out of the War Machine Hordes universe. Yeah, I thought this was especially cool. So uh, I, I've said it before. This is uh, cool. This is absolutely cool. I love stuff like I, this. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, Magic and War Machine have a lot in common, and just goofy formats are definitely a thing that the two of them share. And they've got a goofy format coming out, and I love it. I love it! It's called Caster Draft. So you build a 50-point army, 30 points of War Beasts or, or War Jacks or whatever, but you don't choose a caster. Instead, you get a generic card that just has generic stats on it where they have a sword and, like, a hand cannon or something. And then you do a draft with, like, things that add to your feet and abilities and weapons and armor and spells and oh my gosh it sounds amazing so i i don't know it, it's a cool con- drafting is such a fun mechanic it is so cool and like drafting something out and then playing a tournament with it that sounds super fun i want to do it all right and now uh moving into a different rpg space let's talk a little bit about beginner boxes because there's beginner boxes coming out all over the place yeah yeah it's just this thing i noticed the other day so uh, Fantasy Flight announced that at Gen Con they're going to have the L5R RPG beginner box, which will have an intro adventure and starting rules. And by the end of it, you'll know all the rules of how to play the game. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Let, let me tell you, having gotten all four of the Star Wars uh, beginner boxes that are out, these things are fantastic and they're packed full of value. You generally get, and at least this is the way it was with the Star Wars ones, you get uh, an entire adventure, you get a bunch of maps that you can put out on the floor, you get tokens for... Um, uh, to represent characters, both good guys and bad guys. Uh, you also get uh, a set of dice, which for, um, at least for the uh, uh, Fantasy Flight systems is important because they, they do use custom dice. And uh, you also get uh, pre-made characters and basically an intro into the world. So, I mean, you get all that for like 30 bucks. It's really a great great intro into the system i'm a big fan of these so not to be outdone cubicle seven for warhammer uh warhammer dark fantasy rpg fourth edition is also releasing a beginner box which will have a similar thing i'm sure and then i just read today that they announced that traveler is going to get a new edition and a new starter box and the reason they're doing the new edition is because the creator wanted a beginner box and they're like well we might as well make a new edition while we're at it 
And but yeah, it, our 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 beginner box is a new thing because like I I hadn't seen them in a while. I think they're great until like uh, until D and D did it for fifth, and then Fantasy Flight definitely jumped on that for Star Wars and everything. Like they've been doing it for those, but yeah, all of a sudden it seems like everybody's doing a, a beginner box. It's crazy. I, you know, I think they represent a really good value, and I think that they help people get into the game, and I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm too. I'm too. So hopefully hopefully, all three of them are excellent and awesome, and we will find out at Gen Con, I'm sure. Now we got some uh, interesting D&D news, some um, market analysis, which I did not expect. Yeah, yeah. So, Jonathan, are, are you aware that D&D is huge? I am aware that D&D is huge. Like, D&D is stupid huge, and it's only getting bigger right now. Yeah, so according to Wizards, from whatever research they've done, they have 12 to 15 million people playing D&D in North America alone. I believe it. You know what? No joke. Every time I go into an FLGS lately, there's always a D&D game going. Yeah, yeah, you know it, actually. That's true with me, too. And and that's, I mean, like, that's truly saying something, because I could go in in the middle of the day, I could go in in the evening, and there's always a D&D game going. There's always somebody playing. It's really neat. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. 40% of D&D players right now are women, which I, I don't, you, you were not into RPGs, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, 90s in general, like I was, but yeah, like, that that's crazy huge. Like, that they're... No, it is it is hu- truly huge, and I'll tell you this much, man. Um, I-, I saw this at Gamma. I've seen this in my FLGS. Uh, I've seen this several places. Um, board games and tabletop games in general are leading the charge into a a more equal space. It's really heartening to see. It's been just absolutely amazing. Um, you know, kind of what representation I've seen. Uh, at all the different shows and all the different stores that I've gone to. It's been really... You, you know what? One genre has been completely and utterly failing at that, and I'm wondering who's going to crack the code first. Miniature games. Miniature games are very male-dominated still. Yeah. No. Agreed. agreed. And, and somebody needs to fix that, because uh, whoever figures out how to fix that first is going to make a ton of money. Like, just a ton. <laughs> yeah, but don't fix that until my daughter is old enough to pay for herself because she really kind of is good at miniature games and she's really starting to like them. And I shouldn't have shown her GKR because I can already see that she's going to be an expensive little hobby. <laughs> so I'm just going to need to hit oh, the pause it's button on so, about 10 it's years. So it's so bad. It's so bad. Your your daughter is turning into an Uber gamer. Oh, as a gaming dad, that's so terrible. Oh. I know. I know. Part of me is very proud, and the other part of me is just like, what have I done? <laughs> I, I mean, heck, I saw this at my shop. Um, it, it's definitely the new crowd, because there, there's basically two crowds of people that play role-playing games in general right now. There's the old guys who are our age, the grognards, if you will. And there are not a lot of women in that audience at all. It's it's sad. And then there's the new crowd, which are typically much younger. And yeah, like the gender parity in that group is is nearly 50-50. I'm, I'm assuming the 40% is because us old grognards are throwing off uh, the, the stats to that degree. Yeah, but that's changing so quickly. I know, and right? You know what? The the old guard is doing a real good job of including everybody, and I really respect. Uh, that. I disagree. I've seen some stuff le- recently. People, listeners, oh really? Listeners, don't gatekeep. Everybody's a gamer. Just let them let them have fun. And you know what? If they watch games online and they want to call themselves a gamer, you know what? They are gamers. They're watching games online. I I I don't do that. They're they're obviously more hardcore than I. I give them all the props in the world. They are gamers. Let them let them ha- don't be the fun police. Let them have fun. 
Just because it's not yeah, fun for you doesn't mean it's, it's not that's fun. That's what this is all about for crying out yeah, loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's there's plenty of board games I don't like that people think I'm crazy for not liking and and RPGs and everything. And it's just, you know what? You, you, it is not your job to be the fun police. Just let people have fun. If they're having fun, that's that's all that matters. Like, you know, just because it's not fun for you doesn't mean it's not fun. And, and speaking of which, 50% of the new D&D players are watching games online, like Critical Role and Wizard has like 50 billion streams now. And yeah, it, that's that is a crazy statistic, because I will tell you this. I gain absolutely no joy or value or anything watching any of the I've tried. I've tried watching those shows and they don't do a thing for me. And but I, I listen to two podcasts that do live play uh, sessions and they're, I, I'm I'm completely sucked into both of them. Yeah, I, I listen to one shot occasionally. It's mainly when the game they're doing interests me. I'll listen to it because I, I can. But yeah, watching like a campaign of D&D doesn't do anything for me. But you know what? Again, fun police. I'm not the fun police. If you think that's fun, that's awesome. I, I, I I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not for me. There's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> That's a completely different topic. That's a completely different topic. It's awful. Four out of five stars. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> well, while we're on the subject of Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards in general, tell me about the stream of many eyes. Do you remember last year when they did the stream of Annihilation? Yes. It's that. It's this year's version of that. They're going to announce the new storyline. Uh, so I'm assuming the mini eyes thing is a subtle reference to the new storyline, which I'm assuming the mini eyes has something to do with Xanathar because, you know, they just mentioned him in a book. One would imagine. Yeah. But it's going to be a big three-day streaming event. It's going to be, you know, episodes and all this crazy stuff. And they're going to announce the new storyline. And so even for those of us who don't like watching the games, you know what? I will definitely be watching the thing where they announce the new storyline and they're talking about it. So, yeah, there's a little bit of something for everybody. So it's pretty cool. That'll be June 1st through 3rd. So, yeah, coming up in just, what, like less than a month? So set your calendars accordingly. I'm really excited about this because generally this also means that we're going to get a bunch of uh, board games released around the uh, new storyline as well. And it's just we get lots of good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, stuff. They, they talk about all of it. So, yeah, it'll it'll be good. It'll be good. And th- this better be a big story. Darn it, because we didn't get one in spring like we did every year. So this better be a huge one. Huge. And then we, we've got a little bit of a unicorn <laughs> to talk about here. He's freaking glorious, by the way. I'm looking at him. Right <laughs> that is just glorious okay so his wings have spikes <laughs> his glower is menacing he is the dire penguin an individual miniatures release uh, for a non-specific miniature is not something i i normally do but i i had to make a special exception yeah yeah this deserves it in every reaper way. miniatures serial number 03870 Part of the, uh, it's just part of their Reaper line. They're releasing a Dire Penguin. It's part of their Dark Heaven Legends. Yeah, yeah the Dark Haven line. Yeah, Dire Penguin. Dire Penguin. It's amazing. Post this picture. <laughs> like, us talking about it doesn't know justice. Post this picture. <laughs> you know what I like about him? You know what I like about him? He looks... Everything? He, he, he has this look like he's a bodyguard, you know? like Like, he's just at a club... And he's just sitting there and he's just he's just so he's so ready to kick someone out right now. He's, he looks like he just finished telling somebody to get off his iceberg. Uh, hey, man. So you're causing a bit of the ruckus. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. So why don't we go? Don't want to cause any problems. So I, I, I notice you're not going fast. You're shuffling your feet. Are you carrying an egg, perhaps? That's just a little penguin humor trying to lighten the mood. That's what he says to me. No, that's not. That's not this. No, guy. that's this guy. This guy's just get off my ice. No, no, no. He's he's totally he's totally like a core in Thor Ragnarok. That's what I see. 
All righty. Well. Dire penguin, people. Dire penguin. Yeah. Just look at the picture because we could talk about this all day and it would never, ever, ever be. He's $7. Why don't you own him already? I need to go to the store and find one. Yeah, I do. It's just ridiculous. You ready for some news bites, Robert? I, I almost did this first one, actually. I, I, I figured you would cover this, so I This first it. one is huge. Yeah. This first one is huge. I know. That's why I figured second, you'd do it. It is time for second edition of Star Wars X-Wing. Nice. And I'm really, really excited about this because this game's been out for a long time. The meta has been slowly kind of, you know, creeping in different directions and it really is desperately in need of a reset because guess what? I cannot play with anymore because they're just not competitive. X Wings and Tie Fighters. <laughs> Funny. So um, this this is this is in my opinion, I love it when games get revved because it fixes it gives the developer a chance to fix a lot of issues. And they are man, this is more than just a small rev. This is a huge revision to the rules. Yeah, no, I I, I was reading about it. It's crazy. And what and props to Fantasy Flight. Thank. Ah! I hate it when people don't do this. Uh, they're releasing like an upgrade kit, right? So you get like all the cards. Yes, fifty bucks, I think, uh, is what I read. And they give you multiple copies of cards, which is good. Yeah, no, I mean, like this is so cool. I'm so so stoked about it. And there's going to be an official app to help you build your squads. Yes. In fact, I think the app is going to so be that's... required, isn't it? To to do army building because because they're see I told you I read about this I read about this I almost I almost did it yeah no no the app is required because uh, the way they're going to balance some of the things is if like there's an upgrade that you know is okay on a Tie Fighter but it's like really really good on the Millennium Falcon they're the way they're going to balance that is it's going to be more expensive on the Millennium Falcon so you need to build with the app because different upgrades cost differently based on the ship boom oh I think that's great what a great what a great way to balance it out. Yeah, well, and because it's an app and it's a living rule set, they can tweak things where, you know, printed cards, as Privateer Press learned, you know, makes it really hard to do revisions and tweaks and balance the game correctly. So, Which which is what these games are all about, so I'm totally stoked. Yep, 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 yep. All right, well, next bite is a little news out of Gray Fox Games, who have made some, some really neat games lately. They, of course, are the uh, folks that published Champions of Midgard, which was a big hit about a year ago. Um, they are making a new imprint specifically uh, for social games, and it's called Social Sloth Games. <laughs> and they are launching with the first game called Creatures and Cupcakes. It's a two to four player push your luck game, and uh, it's actually got some a really uh, powerful design behind it. Uh, it's been designed by Daryl Andrews, who made uh, the recent Sagrada, which is really neat. That's a great game. When you play these games, do you think you have to talk like the uh, sloths in Zootopia? I don't know. Question mark. <laughs> All right. Next up is another uh, another fun expansion to a great game, and that is an expansion for King Domino. We are getting the Age of Giants. So now certain dominoes will cause giants to uh, appear in your game. And these giants actually come with some uh, different ways that they, they muddle up the game. 
the giants actually stand on crowns in your kingdom and prevent you from scoring them at the end of the game. So that's a that's a major change. And you can send them to your kingdom or you can send them to other people's kingdoms. So that's a that's a pretty pretty big change to the game. So we'll have to see how this all works out. But I I got a lot of high hope for it. King Domino is a, a good amount of fun. You know what? I it's a good omen. I don't know if you looked at the link that you posted on this, but it's called a. Uh, you know, HTTP Dice Tower News, Giants come to King King Domino, ready for Rob. So apparently it's ready for me. Aww. That's a good omen. That's a good omen. You should buy this game. That is. That mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Robert, are you familiar with Mensa? And I don't mean that from a membership perspective, just in general. Yeah. Every year, Mensa actually does choose a bunch of games and gives out a Mensa Select Award. And they have uh, announced the winners for this year. And there's some really good games on this list. Oh, yeah. F- First Forbidden of all, Island was one, right? I remember that. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I believe yeah, so. Yeah. Okay, believe yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why this is familiar to me. Okay, go. So, uh, the five winners of this year's Mensa Select Award are Azul by Plan B Games, Constellation, the game of stargazing in the night sky from Extronaut Enterprises, Photosynthesis by Blue Orange Games, Raiders of the North Sea from Renegade Games, and finally, Ex Libris from Renegade Games. Those are some good games. That is quite a list. I didn't realize that they did five games a year. Uh, I can't say that I did either, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty consistent. I'm looking at past winners, and yeah, it's five, yeah. five. It, it's cool to put, you know, they, they, they'll they give you permission to put a sticker on the box, which says that you're a Mensa Select winner. Um, they're featured real prominently on their website. It's basically they're they're looking for games that make you use your head and make you really kind of burn the. Oh my God, Jonathan! What you want to hear? How far board gaming has come since this started? Sure. Okay. Okay. Nineteen ninety was the first year, at least in Board Game Geek, that they have a list of the Mensa Select winners. Mensa Select winning games, winning board games. Nineteen ninety taboo, categories. Wow. Tribon. Stop it. Albalone and Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have words. Uh, Magic won in 94 uh, alongside Char, Chung Toy, Downfall, and Py- Pyros? Py- Pyrios? Pyrios? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's nuts. It's nuts. Well, there you go. W- when did the, the board game Insanity start where board games like got awesome? Yeah, I think that you can kind of say about 04 to 06. That's really when the revolution started. Yeah, dude. The beginning of this current... You, you uh, can see it in this list. Metamorphosis? It's crazy. Like, yeah, you start seeing games I recognize from my shop in this list. Right, right, uh, yeah. yeah, right around 04. Definitely by 2010. That's when uh, Forbidden Island got it. Yeah, and it hit like a brick in 2014. 2014 was The Duke, Euphoria, Gravwell, Pyramidic, Pyra, Pyramix, and Quix. Wow, yeah, that's some good stuff on that. Yeah, yeah. Here, I'm going to send this to you. This is fascinating. One last little news bite, Robert. And this one I'm surprised you didn't latch on to vigorously. A new release for later this year from Stonemaier Games. Oh, dope! My little side. So, I, I had this. I, I saw this article and I meant to do it and I forgot. Cause I w- but you failed! And I didn't. I was on my phone at the time and adding stuff to the list on my phone sucks. So I was like, I'll do that later. And then I didn't. <laughs> so this started as a variant of the game uh, a Scythe. Uh, I hope I'm not mispronouncing his name here. Hobby Chow and his daughter Vienna um, designed this as a variant of the original Scythe 
to um, basically make Scythe palatable for somebody a bit on the younger side. And it has since taken on a mind of its own and gotten Jamie Stegmeier's uh, approval and love. And now My Little Scythe has been born. It was originally a print-and-play game. Uh, It won actually a 2017 Board Game Geek Best Print-and-Play Game Award. And it was originally themed with My Little Pony, but, you know, for licensing reasons, they couldn't hold on to that. So instead, we get six distinct races of uh, little anthropomorphic animals. So they've made their own whole little universe. It's like a little bit of scythe. It's got an engine building aspect to it. Um, Why am I so excited about this? Because I I don't feel like I should be nearly as excited as I am about this, but I'm really excited. I I want to like somehow bridge that gap between uh, Hasbro and this game and make the My Little Pony edition because that would be amazing. That'd be so good. I mean, not 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 that this is bad, but I'm like I I I want to play a- Applejack the Army in Scythe. That sounds amazing. Have you seen this art? Have you seen this art? The little Ruski Tiger. He's adorable. Yeah, no, they're friggin' awesome. And then the yak the, the, with the goggles. Art's so good in this game. <laughs> There's a yak with goggles, like a steampunk. He's a steampunk yak. That's awesome. Who doesn't love a steampunk yak? I I. <gasps> There's a teaser trailer on Stone Meyer's website. Well, pre-orders are available on Stonemeyer's website for uh, for a while. The game will be pre-released at Gen Con in this year in 2018, and uh, they're expecting it in retail in mid-August. Oh my gosh! There's little miniatures. Yeah, there's uh, aren't don't those look great? Yeah, they're they're like uh, they kind of look kind of chibi, like uh, 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 Arcadia Quest. Yeah, no, they look great. They look everything about this game looks great. I'm oh, so excited! This is amazing. Oh, the My Little Pony edition just needs to happen somehow. We need to figure out a way to make that. We need to, like, cast a magic spell, Jonathan. That needs to exist. That just does. I'm sorry. Steampunk Yak. Steampunk Yak is dope. Steampunk Yak. Uh, both can exist. Both they, they both need to exist. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of News Bites, which means it is time for a year in the life, Robert. We get 365 seconds to talk about the game that we talked about a year ago. And if we need longer, then that means we should probably play it. And get it off the shelf. <laughs> so let's get started in this episode. Forgot My Dice, episode 18. It's moments like this where I want this to be a solo show. <laughs> we reviewed Tales from the Loop. Oh, hey, that's good stuff right there. Yeah, yeah. Now, in all honesty, I have not had a chance to play a game of Tales from the Loop, but that is more on me because I just haven't had a chance to play a lot of role-playing games in the last year. Um, I really, really want to play in that system. Uh, yeah, I do too. I, I, the one I'm super duper curious about is um, they they did an art book that takes place in the 90s, and the storyline of that art book especially seems like crazy awesome good. So, and they say they're going to make a role playing game out of that too. So I, I'm waiting for that expansion slash other book like that. That looks super cool. Like I, because I, it it. it uh, the the 90s book actually takes place in America, partly in Boulder City that they invented for the RPG, I think. So, yeah. Yep, yep. I'm, I, I, I would love that. But, yeah, no, uh, uh, Tales from... I, I tried a couple times. I haven't played it either. But I, I got my adventure book. I've been flipping through that. I've been flipping through everything I've gotten for it. So, but, yeah, that's... that's you know what? It's just, you know, RPGs aren't like board games, man. You just can't play everything all the time because there's just not enough time to play all the RPGs you want. No, totally true. Totally true. All right, well, so it sounds like we definitely need to make some time for it to get this off the shop. Uh, I need to make a time to just play any role-playing game. 
Well, <sighs> make, make it happen. I'll, I'll hop online. I'll hop on. I, I know. I know. I just need to get off my butt and do it. I need to just pick something. I don't know what to pick. Pick this. This is a good one to pick. Just create a little, just create a little like one or two session adventure. I need to do something. I don't know. Do it. Problem is, I got like twenty thousand games I want to play, and I just don't know what to do. Do it. Hashtag first world problems. Jonathan, there's too many role playing games. I've got too many role playing games. I can't choose. Oh, woe is me. All right, well, we will be back in just a few minutes after a short uh, break. We are going to be deep diving the Order of Vampire Hunters. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back. It is now time for our deep dive. And this deep dive is something I've actually been really looking forward to. I, uh, I backed this game on Kickstarter. And then this is one of the rare instances where not only was I really excited, excited enough to order it, but that I actually kind of like um, geeked out over it and stalked it during its uh, um, gestation period. So really excited to have this on my table. You stalked it? I did. I totally stopped. Were you like a creeper outside in the bushes with binoculars? No. I mean, I'd go to the Kickstarter page almost daily, read through the comments. I mean, like, I stalked it. I full-on stalked it. <laughs> I kick-stalked it. That's, if, if that's not a thing, it is now. Kick-stalking. Okay. That's Somebody not... Urban Dictionary that. That's, that's when you, you back a Kickstarter project and you're so excited about it that you go to it every day. I'm currently kick-stalking Hellboy the board game. Which, by the way, for anybody keeping score at home, is doing quite lovely. Uh, it is currently at one point, uh, just shy of 1.3 million. 10,424 backers. 17 days to go. And oh, the glorious hellboyness of it all. I'm so, so excited. Okay, Jonathan, be, be, beat that back. This is not a deep dive on Hellboy, which, by the way, will be inbound because the moment Hellboy's out, we're going to deep dive that sucker. But that's neither here beat, nor beat there. Beat it back, beat it back, beat it back. Because now we're going to talk We're going to talk about some vampires. The Order prevailed once. Quiet for so long, the night is coming again. Can the Order regain its former strength and push back the tide of evil? Vampire Hunters is a cooperative miniature-based board game of one to four players, expandable to five to six players. It brings the dark imagery of Vampire Lord to your tabletop as you play a newly recruited vampire hunter thrown into the vampire den with a small band of comrades. Use classic weapons like stakes, holy water, and sunlight to destroy the creatures of the night. Team up and make combination attacks. Craft makeshift items in the den and buy quality equipment between hunts. Learn skills to take down these vile creatures. But watch the clock. At sundown, you become the prey. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> One, two victims. Ah, ah, ah. All right. Well, let's talk about Vampire Hunters, Robert. What you've got here basically is at its core, I think somebody played Zombicide and said, I've got an idea of how to do this better. I think that's where it all began. <laughs> and the way you do it better is you kill vampires, which is a superior format because anything that kills vampires is good. I am on record. I am on record. I hate vampires. I hate them. 
This game speaks to me, Jonathan. It speaks to me. <laughs> well, the reason I say that is because at, at its core, there's a lot of similarities to Zombicide here. What you've got here is a game that you lay out with tiles. It, it, every room is basically a space, if you will. And within that space may or may not be um, vampires that are waiting there for you. But that's about where the similarities end, because beyond that, we get into some really, really interesting ideas here. And what we see here is, I, I can't say that there's anything 100% original here. Uh, what we're seeing is a mixing and matching of ideas from different games. It, it's such a well-curated collection of ideas that it truly becomes something special. Not every game necessarily can be this like original, amazing, crazy, weird thing. Like, you know, the, the, the whole process of iterating on something that works is is good. You know, I mean, that's how, you know, we, we get everything cool, you know, like because if if we didn't do that, everything would just be fantasy role playing that looked a lot like D&D. But, you know, it doesn't. And it's great. So there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with iteration off of the core theme, especially when it comes to killing vampires. Jonathan, I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but I am on the record as hating vampires. Yes. Destroying them is the only correct course of action. Yes, you are. Well, let's talk about how you destroy them in uh, Vampire Hunters. So everything is scenario-based. You you whip out your scenario book. You set it up based on uh, what they tell you in the book. There's going to be a map. It's going to have some spawn locations for critters. It's going to tell you basically how to construct it using doorways, using props, uh, using windows, etc. And once you have everything constructed you begin play. And play is done as a series of activations and actions. So a hunter is activated, so a player is activated. Hunters play before turned hunters, and we're going to talk about turned hunters in a little bit. But once you activate that hunter, you get to take a series of actions. Uh, You can do things like moving. You can do things like um, activating levers within the world. You can do things like attacking and searching and trading and all, all kind of like the standard stuff. Now, where things get interesting is that every scenario starts at a specific time of day. And at the end of every round, you are at once all the, the, the hunters have activated, you actually advance the clock forward. And eventually you're going to get to a point in the scenario where the sun goes down and it becomes night. Wait, 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 wait. Well, hold up, hold up. When the sun goes down and the moon comes up, but long ago somebody left with the cup. So he's driving and dri- whatever. Okay, I'm done. I can't remember the song. I mean, I dig the cake reference. I yeah. Do. I'm thinking of someone for whom heat still burns. I'm about to go the distance. He's heading for speed. She's all alone, all alone, all alone in a time of need. Because I'm racing and pacing. Oh, God, I believe we just do this all night. And plotting right. the course <laughs> and driving and striving and riding on his course. He's going the distance. Send complaints care of Robert. (laughs) Uh, I don't think so, Jonathan. Eventually the sun goes down. And the moon comes up. And night falls on the game board. And when that happens, something truly neat and interesting happens. Because all of the bad guys get a different rule set. So when your adventure starts, it's daytime. And when it's daytime, the vampires are relatively lethargic. They're generally going to be asleep when you go into rooms. They're very, very easy to kill. And the only thing you really have to worry about is if you uh, make sound and wake them up. Because if that happens, they're going to attack you. But there's lots of things that you can do if they do attack you. Um, There's lots of uh, offensive and defensive moves that you can do, including cool stuff like, hey, look, there's a window on that wall. How about I burst it open, let in the sun, and oh, hey, all the vampires in this room are dead. 
Yes. So that's what happens during daytime. But at night, things turn around. Because during the day, hunters activate first, then turned hunters go, and then you draw an activation card, which is kind of like a um, uh, what's going to happen this turn card, if you will. So once night goes down, you get to do uh, you get to do all the same stuff with your hunters, but you're also going to be drawing and resolving night activation cards because these night activation cards let the bad guys basically attack before hunters can take their actions. The tables really flip once it goes to nighttime. I dig that. I really I I yeah. <sighs> yeah, and what's really tricky is that generally the missions will have time constraints on them, so you'll start at a specific part of the clock, and then you've got to get everything done by the end and if time runs out you're gonna lose you shouldn't lose because hunting vampires is the good and right thing to do (laughs) well the reason i say that you lose is because there's a little bit of a choose your own adventure uh kind of uh flow to things where if you win or lose certain um hunts during the overall plot line you may go get told to go to a different chapter which is kind of neat nice nice so it has a branching storyline cool so you can see that, you know, like, they, they, again, there's a lot of similarities to, to any uh, minis game, not just Zombicide, where you're playing cooperatively and you're moving folks around the map. But this adds a lot of really interesting gameplay elements on top, and it kind of has a really neat activation and combat system as well. Cool. All right. Attacking is kind of interesting. Uh, first of all, an attack has to be within range, and range is going to be determined by the weapon that you're using at any given time. You do have armor that can absorb hits uh, during combat. Otherwise, if your armor doesn't take the hit, then you're going to get a wound token, which is kind of, you know, par for the course, if you will. But there's also a couple other things to take into account. For instance, successful attacks are quiet. Unsuccessful attacks will make noise and can wake all the sleeping vampires that are in a room during the daytime. Oh, okay. Makes sense. A lot of items will come with a fragile icon, which forces you to roll what's called the breakage die. And if you get a certain symbol on the breakage die, your item's going to break and you're going to lose it, which is really neat as well. That sucks. Yeah. I don't want to lose Mr. Pointy. He's my favorite wooden <laughs> stake. Um, there's, weapon, or pardon me, there's weapons that'll do um, blast and radius damage. Uh, there's weapons that can act as uh, shields. There's one-time use stuff. There's stuff that will and will not go through boarded up windows. Um, so there's just a lot, a lot of depth in the uh, weapons and in the the combat here. What's especially cool is this is meant to be a cooperative game. So one of the things that you can do in your cooperative game is what's called a combined attack, where multiple hunters will work together to attack a specific vampire. And there's a lot of different unique combined attacks which uh, are going to depend on which characters you have in play and how they are situated to one another. Now, one of the cool things is, with a game like this, and this happened to us when we were playing Zombicide the other day, uh, there came a point where characters started to die. And when characters die, well, that means you're out, right? In this game, that does not mean you're out, because you have the concept of the turned hunter. Uh, A hunter doesn't die when they are initially killed. Instead, they become turned and become a vampire, and they get an entire new stat sheet full of stats uh, for the turned version of their uh, uh, of their vampire. And then you get to keep on playing, but this time you're playing for the other side. <laughs> nice. Uh, do you have a mechanical advantage to do that? Like, it, if you're playing over the storyline, is there a reason as a player you'd want to really screw over your buddies? Or, like, does it help you with your next character? Or is it just something you could do for the fluff? Well, what's interesting is that you actually get different objectives and different compulsions, they're called, as a, as a turned hunter. 
So once you become a turned hunter, you're actually playing on basically what amounts to a different team. You are now part of the turned hunters team. And they, the turned hunters are actually going to have unique objectives that are different than the objectives of the hunter. So you basically have a different win condition. Okay, but if, you, if you're playing in a, a game like long term, do you, do you flip back or are you a turned hunter the whole time? Or? Hunters and turned hunters play as different teams, but the hunters still cooperate fully with one, one another. Oh, weird. I like that. So yeah. you could be like you could be like the 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 priest with the whip knife knife whip in uh, Dracula two, where you're you know you're all like half turned and you don't you, it's like oh I'm so ah so thematic I love it yeah love well it. one of the cool things that they do is they give you these cards that basically spell out a compulsion and the compulsion is basically something that you have to do you're you're compelled to do it by the game. It might atta- uh, force you to attack vampires, which could be very reckless, right? Because it's, you start making noise and start drawing more attention to yourself. You might have something like you have to destroy specific breeds of the vampires, like thralls. You might be reviled by certain things, like you cannot attack certain types of of, uh, of enemies. So there's a bunch of these different compulsions that you are that are forced upon you once you turn, and so it really kind of uh, puts some interesting restrictions on gameplay. <laughs> I like it. Now, each of the hunters also has some unique uh, abilities as well. And to fire these abilities off, you need something called focus. And focus is gained by doing what you'd expect out of an adventure game, right? Uh, when you're interacting with the environment, when you're solving the quote-unquote puzzles that these guys are, are coming across, you're going to gain focus. When you destroy enemies, you're going to gain more focus. Um, turned hunters also have the ability to gain focus. Uh, For instance, if they are attacking another hunter and they roll a six, they're going to get some focus. If they destroy vampires, they're going to get focus. If they bite a captive, they're going to get focus. And focus is basically a currency that you can then use to activate special abilities that are unique to each of one of the hunters. Okay, okay. Now, when you get to the end of a mission, you are going to, generally speaking, uh, come across a boss character. And these boss characters range in terms of their abilities and uh, their deadliness and whatnot. Um, and so they will come with, of course, a bunch of game-breaking rules that uh, break the normal rules of the game up and make it for a unique encounter against them. And these are like super vampires, like, you know. Yeah, they're, they're called elders. Cute. Underworld style. Got it. And so, I, like I was explaining, at its core, what we have here is a game that is very similar to a lot of other adventure games on the market. But it borrows a bunch of really neat ideas from other places and puts them together into a really unique and interesting package, which is really cool. And I, I for one, think that this day and night phasing is really clever. Although it it stands to reason, why don't the hunters always just go in at dawn? Well, from a plot perspective, they actually address that in a couple of the missions that I've played. Oh, okay. That's cool. Oh, by the way, so do they? So you said you can blow out windows. Uh, please tell me they steal a page from John Stakely's Vampires, where you can get a harpoon gun, and uh, or that was actually in John Carpenter's Vampires. And John Stakely's Vampires, they just bulldoze the freaking house. But in, in the movie John Carpenter's Vampires, they harpoon them and drag them out into the sunlight. Please. Well, it's it's funny that you should say that. There <laughs> is actually a an entire another character. Uh, who is uh, basically shared use and never goes into the house, or, or pardon me, into the, the vampire's den. He has a harpoon that he can fire into the house with the help of the other hunters, and then he can uh, he's called the extractor, and he basically sucks them out into the light where they are then killed. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Oh, it's so good, Jonathan. Yeah, so good. it's good stuff. There's a lot to like in this game. Uh, ho, ho, ho. I love it. I love it, Jonathan. This game's speaking to me. All right, Jonathan, so we got the basics of gameplay over with. How is that rule book? The rule book is, is pretty decent, um, especially for a game of this complexity. So the, the one thing to kind of take into account is that this is a very dense game. There's a lot of smaller rules that come into play in specific times. So my suggestion to you is to do a brief read-through of the rules to understand the um, the way that the game works, and then use it more as a reference document as you continue and start to hit these little one-off rules. Uh, because they there are some pretty distinct differences between them. But it's organized good. There's an index and all the, the standard issue stuff. Unfortunately, no, there is no index. Uh, and that is one of the, the things that I would put against the way that the rulebook is set up. In terms of a flow of information, it all makes pretty uh, pretty good sense. And I didn't see anything that really kind of uh, confused me. Everything's laid out in a, in a very simple way that's uh, easy to follow and easy to understand. The problem is that there's just no quick way of referencing it because there's no index for you to work off of. So let's talk about these components because I'm going through the Kickstarter right now, Jonathan, and I've already seen somebody who's totally not Bam- uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer with uh, the, the Slayer Scythe. Yes. So uh, <laughs> the components, and I'll talk about the base game first, are fantastic. You get some great minis. There's some really neat monster designs at work here. The minis really do a great job of capturing them. Uh, pretty much what you're getting here are standard board game minis, You know, no more, no less. With some great sculpts. One of the things that they do really well in this game is putting action into the sculpts. Like, things look like they're moving, which is really, really neat. Yeah, and I'm seeing all sorts of different vampires. You got, like, you know, kind of more zombie-esque vampires. You got people yeah. half-turned into bats. You've got uh, the strain-style vampires with, like, the, the, the their intestines that come out and suck blood out of you. Yeah, so you, you've got minions and you've got elders. The minions are the little fellows that you run into all the time. They spawn pretty regularly. And then the elders are the big fellows that are kind of your boss encounter. Some of the elders have really neat designs. There's a, a lady vampire in the stretch goal stuff where she's got this big old set of bat wings and like these weird kind of clawy feet th- stuff. The, the monster design in this is one of the best parts about the game. The monsters are so neat. Oh, she's an optional buy. Nyx. I dig Nyx. So uh, the the copy that I read said that it's ideally one to four players, but expandable to five to six. Can you explain that and where the sweet spot is? Well, I, it, that's really going to depend on how you play. Primarily, this game is designed as a cooperative game. But that being said, there is a um, competitive uh, rule set available to you. Uh, I can't say that very much about the competitive rule set. It seems okay, but I just would rather play a co-op game than a competitive game, so I've only ever played it as co-op, which is also the game's primary focus because of the uh, campaign, which takes pl- you know, which basically takes up about 60% of the rule book, etc. So um, as a uh, cooperative game, it's fantastic because you can play it alone. You can play it with one player, or you can play it all the way up to however many folks that you have there. Um, and it's always going to work. And a game like this is great for the same reasons that I love Zombicide is because it forces you to communicate with the other people at the table and come up with a plan that works for everybody. And that's interesting. That's fun. That's really engaging to everybody at the table. Expanding it to five and six, is that five to six cooperative or is it five to six in the versus mode? Five to six cooperative. Oh, okay. And you just need to have extra hunters, I guess, to make that happen. Exactly. You get four hunters in the box, so you're able to play one to four players. And then uh, with the different expansions that are available, you can kick that up uh, up to six players. 
It's nice to see that because a lot of those games, like they kind of, I don't know, break if you add in more people because it's really not designed to handle it. This is a really well put together because I played through with Dale. We played through a couple games at um, what would be four players. And then with the kids, I actually sat down and played a couple more games and we did it as six players. Each of us took two and it worked in both respects. It was always challenging, but never so challenging that it was not fun. And it really does come down to a whole lot of communication. That's always going to be how you're you're going to tackle this best. Oh, so that, that vampire, sorry, I, I was looking at something. That vampire uh, that I liked is a sort of cross-promotion with a different company who they, they have a succubus in a game that's like a, a story-based game called Madara. And uh, the succubus I was talking about is like a crossover character between the two. Yeah. Which is cool because the they, uh, the the Madara is much more like anime looking. So, but it's like the same character. But in this, she's a lot more gritty and gross and vampire looking. And then you know, seeing the version, of the anime game is actually kind of cool. I like it. And if you got the Kickstarter, you got a bunch of stretch goals as well. There's a, a couple new hunters in the stretch goals. There's a bunch of new monsters, uh, new special ability cards, um, new elder influence cards. Which the, the elders are basically constantly changing up the way they are manipulating the uh the game a bunch of 3d scenery and stuff like that to make the the board really pop so there's a lot of really good stuff in there yeah the expansions are pretty cool too because they come they introduce like you were saying uh, a variety of different critters uh including there's an entire expansion based around dracula which is really neat it comes with a coffin mini (laughs) oh and the brides Ooh, the brides yeah, and like you were saying, they have a couple different crossover characters available as well. Uh, there's a guy named Peter Constant, uh, who's very not Constantine, if you know what I mean. Totally not Constantine, got it. Yeah, totally not Constantine. He's from a game called Lobotomy, which I also have in Kickstarted last year. And then there's another character who's wearing a gas mask. His name is Rat, uh, and he's from a game called Fire Team Zero, which also was Kickstarted uh, a year or two ago. And then uh, you get some, there's, there's a couple of really good ones. There's one called Gugradeth and the Elder Guardian. And it's basically a giant winged vampire with a like stake spear that is riding on a vampiric dog. Yeah, I saw that thing. That thing looked rad. Yeah, it's such a cool pose. Like I said, everything's got all this great motion to it. Yeah, the art, the art design in this game is very good. I like it. I dig it. This game's speaking to me, Jonathan. So, Jonathan, fun to play? Yes? No? Absolutely. Absolutely it's fun to play. I don't know if it's going to work with all gaming groups, but uh, if you've got some gamers that are sick of games like Zombicide because they're too simple, this game brings the depth. It it brings the depth into a cooperative experience uh, with fantastic art design, like you said, uh, and with an absolutely fantastic package of features. There's just so many good ideas in here. Um, and, and granted, many of them come from other places, but this particular mix of ingredients is just so perfectly built. And these, these designers just did a bang-up job on it. Everything is fantastic. Well, the most complicated adventure game I've ever played was probably uh, Undercity slash Widower's Wood. How does this rank compared to that? Uh, it's got a little bit more complexity there. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. I like that. Well, I'm a miniatures gamer, so tactical yeah, miniatures no, based this stuff is, is a, fun. This is a, a a board game for folks that are ready for the next level beyond um, beyond what your your basic cooperative experience is going to bring. 
That is the end of our discussion around The Order of Vampire Hunters. The Order of Vampire Hunters is available now. It was on Kickstarter. Um, I believe it is on their website at the very least, uh, available for sale, and I think it's going to retail as well. Uh, It's a company called Dark Gate Games, and uh, yeah, it's really good. I'm really, really enjoying this game, Uh, especially the the night-day thing. That, That just never gets old. It's such a neat idea. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. I, uh, Sadly, Robert. Ugh, the game speaks to me. That brings us to the end of episode 41. Boo-hoo. Little tear. Little tear. Me, 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 me. Little tear. <laughs> A one tear. Ah, ah, ah. ah. <laughs> uh, as always, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, especially the uh, Facebook fan page. That's that's where the majority of our discussions occur. And as always, Robert, as well, day well, turns... Well, joy, they, they also should should go over to the Patreon and listen to the Patreon-exclusive episode where we talk bright during bright. That was fun. That was quite fun. Yes, go go go! put bright on pause at zero zero point zero zero hours and uh, go hit our tr- commentary track, then hit play and uh, be prepared for enjoyment. indeed sir indeed well as day turns to night robert and we see the sunset of this particular episode of the forgot my dice podcast i ask you what i always ask you robert any final thoughts yes yes i confirmed this during one of our breaks uh patreon 2 was two hours and two minutes and uh, episode eight like a giant Viking Kool-Aid man, was two hours and ten minutes, so it is still the record holder for the longest episode. Ah, uh, second longest. Second longest, definitely, for sure. By, by a mile. <laughs> Alrighty. Well then, Robert, there's only one thing left to do in this particular episode, and that is... Party on, Robert. Party on, Jonathan. And go stick a vampire in the heart. Yes! The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 